Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And this week we've got a really lot to go through. We've got one verse we're going to focus in on this morning. And if you've been with us for the past last week, you know that we began a new teaching series called Teach Us to Pray. We want to grow in prayer as disciples of Jesus. The, the title of my message this morning is Hallowed Be Your Name. That's very original, but it's exactly what our text is going to be teaching us this morning. So as you're turning to that passage, I want to ask you a question as we're getting started, and that's this. Have you ever unintentionally crossed a line and offended somebody? Now, some of you don't really need to think hard about that. You probably did it this morning. But I'm asking, have you ever said something or acted in a certain way that insulted another party, simply because you lacked knowledge. For example, I had a college roommate tell me that one time, and you don't do this, he asked a girl, a lady, so how long have you been pregnant? And she said, I'm not. He crossed a line. When I was in South Carolina, I was in a, a uh, courtroom, and... and um, as I, was, I came in and sat down, and as the judge was going through his things, midway through, he looked up and he said, if you don't take your hat off, you're going to be removed from the courtroom. And I was like, who is he talking to? And he goes, I'm talking to you. My face got red, terror rose up in me, and shame filled me as I realized I had crossed a line without realizing it and had insulted a judge. And what, we've, what we're learning in this series is as we're praying, that prayer is simply communicating with God. It's, it should be something that is simple to us, and, and we're learning how to communicate God with proper knowledge. We need to understand, and we spoke about this last week, that we need to, when we come to God, there is a certain way that we need to come to God. Otherwise, we'll, we could be guilty of crossing lines and approaching God in ways and attitudes that are offensive to him. And I alluded to last week that churches are often filled with four types of people. There's those that are passionate about praying. You know, they love having prayer meetings. They love having prayer chains. They love having prayer nights. They're those people that say, you're talking to them. They're like, can we pray for it right now? People that are passionate about prayer. Then there's those who are passionate about the Word. They love just cracking open the Word of God, dissecting it. They love doctrine. They love the Greek. They love the Hebrew. They just love studying it. And then you got a third group who's passionate about nothing. They're not passionate about the prayer. They're not passionate about the Word. They're not passionate about the things of God that are in churches. And then there's another group that's a, a small minority group that's passionate about both the prayer and the word. And if we are going to be, truly be, 
a church that is reaching up, that is reaching in, and that is reaching out. If we are going to be a church that is living on mission, being, say it with me, being, grow, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. If we are going to truly, and I mean truly, not just talk about it, but if we're truly going to be that church that we say we want to be, then we're going to have to, but we're going to, have to grow both in our knowledge of the Word of God and in our times of prayer. Jesus says that if we come to God without knowledge, we, we're actually wasting our breath. He said that last week in the passage that we read, verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard, they think wrongly that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So what I think Jesus is saying here is that you, we can pray a lot and not say anything at all. And in, in today's passage, Jesus is going to give his disciples knowledge and understanding in order that we might be vessels or tools in the hand of God in our day and age in order to bring about his will on earth. Don't you guys want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of what God is doing? I know we do. And if we're going to, if we're going to be, we've got to grow in our prayer. And so this morning and for the next two weeks, I want to spend time in what we often call the Lord's Prayer. Now, the reality of this is that this is, this is not a prayer that the Lord would have been able to pray fully. Can somebody tell me why? Because he says, and forgive us our debts. A sinless Savior does not need to ask for forgiveness. But this is definitely a prayer that is very applicable for us. It's, it's meant to be an outline or a pattern that we can go by in order to pray. Now, there's nothing wrong for us to pray it together corporately because it, it does teach us how we ought to pray, but it's not meant to be a prayer that we just, we just recite rotely. So what I want to do is look at the, the Lord's Prayer. This week, we're going to look at verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next week, we plan to look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the following week, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this morning, uh, we're going to go back to verse 9. I want to zero in on eight words that are found in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, as we look at the word our, the question I have is, who can pray this prayer? Who can pray the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer? That's what I want us to, to be asking in this little section here. Because this word, this is a very interesting word. As I was studying uh, this word, it carries with it a sense of plurality. It, it carries with it the sense of community, our, but it also carries with it the sense of individuality. The word is ego. E-G-O is the word that's used there. Remember that saying, let go of my 
Ego, right? Well, that's what this word, this is where we get our word ego from. But it's used in the plural sense in what we, what we typically read. I want you to see, it says our, see that? Our, it can mean our, it can mean, let me circle this real quick. Let me, it can mean we, or it can mean us. Everywhere that there's a yellow word up here, that word ego is there. But what's interesting is that word also can mean, be in the singular. It can be my, it can mean I, and it can also mean me. It's the same word that's used, uh, if you study the Greek, if you study it throughout the New Testament, that word ego is often used as a plural or as a singular. So you ask me, why, why are you bringing this up this morning? Well, because... As we're learning to pray, we need to, we need to realize that it's not always easy to pray. And this is an application. This week, if you don't know how to pray and you're learning how to pray, this might, something you might want to do is take the Lord's Prayer and write it out as it is in your Bible, but then write it out like it's up here and pray to the Lord. Our, pray for the church, our, and then pray for yourself, my Father. In heaven, So it's, it's an application that if we, just understanding that word means that we can actually pray this as a disciple by ourselves, and also we can pray this prayer, uh, the, the, um, this prayer corporately. Now, um, if you've been in the church family for even just a short amount of time, you realize that there's something wrong at times with, this, with our people, right? We are not perfect people. Have you noticed that yet? Yes. Thank you, Terry. Has anyone else noticed that this group of people is not perfect? We can be messed up at times. And um, it can be unintentional. Unintentionally. Because we're, just, we're a family, and every family has a weird uncle and a crazy aunt or aunt, right? Now, if you're looking around going, who's that crazy uncle? Guess what? You are that crazy uncle. If you don't know who the, the crazy aunt is, okay. So, but we're brothers and sisters. What do brothers and sisters do? They get on each other's nerves from time to time, right? True brothers and sisters, Why? Because we live close in close proximity to one another. Unintentionally, though, we'll step on each other's toes. Some of us, our personalities just are weird. Now, we all have weird personalities to somebody. you got to understand that you are weird to someone. And you annoy someone just as someone annoys you. And that's why God gives us this wonderful verse in Romans 15.1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. I don't know about, know about you, but when I read this verse, I like to say, man, I want to be the weak one. Don't you? I want to get my way. Because this is saying, if you say you are mature in Christ, then prove it by the way you love your brothers and sisters. And that means that we bear with one another when that person is just getting on our nerves. I know I'm not supposed to, we're not supposed to say that in church, but let's be real, okay? We get on each other's nerves. I hope we do. 
And I don't mean I hope we do like I hope we do, but I hope we do because it means that we are in fellowship with one another. We're getting close enough to, to one another that we see each other as we really are. Now, we're not talking about tolerating sin. We're not saying, well, we're just going to sin and just bear with that and you just keep on going. Now, we're talking about bearing with, being patient with, with one another's, with one another in our shortcomings. But then there's, we're not just unintentionally difficult or messed up at times. Sometimes it is intentionally. Because as Scripture says, all of us, I'll say that again, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Romans 3.23 says, for what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all together in this. Now, you, I want to remind you, why am I talking about this? Why am I pointing out that we are all the same? Because the question I asked was, who can pray the Lord's Prayer? Well, here's the good news. Although all of us like sheep have gone astray, it says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then Romans 3.23, going on to verse 24, says, and are justified or made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And because we all have sinned, because we have all fallen short, we all need a Savior. And so every one of us who has repented of our sin and has turned to Jesus and put our faith in him can now, not only has not only been made right, but listen, we have the right. We've been given the right to come to God and call him Father. That, that is amazing. First John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so it's important for us to understand that God has loved us equally. He didn't die uh, for me more than he died for you. And understanding this, the reason I'm going over this is because understanding this Understanding this truth that he doesn't love me more than he loves you, Alex. Understanding that helps me to be patient with you, Paige. Not that I have to be. I mean, you, but be patient with you because he's been patient with me. That's the gospel. So who can pray this? Those who have put their faith in Christ and have been adopted into the family of God because of Jesus. It's not because of any of our righteousness. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm walking in his love, the truth is God has no favorites, correct? But when I'm walking in his love, I feel like I'm his favorite. Have you ever felt like, like, I can't believe I get to sit at the table. I should not be here. Have you ever had a I should not be here moment? Not just spiritually, but in real life. I did. I did back in 2017. I had a I should not be here moment. Now, let me tell you what happened. When we were over at Merriman, I went to a UNCA ladies basketball game. And at halftime, they said, come down here and shoot free throws. Whoever wins this, this gets to go to some national thing. I'm like, okay, I'm going down there. So I took me and my boys and we went down there and I shot... 
and only hit three, okay? I'm gonna be real with you. I hit three shots. I was like, okay, that was cool. They didn't take my name down or anything. I went home. A few days later, I get this phone call that says, hey, is this James? Yes. You have won a trip to the women's final four in Dallas, Texas. You can take somebody with you, and we're going to put you up in the Hilton. And so I was like, I should not be doing this. I was like, are you sure you got the right? Yes. And so I got tickets and went to Dallas. I go into the Hilton Hotel. They're feeding us anything we want, pretty much. And I'm like, I should not be here. On top of that, ESP, this is, I'm not making this up. ESPN Radio called me and interviewed me and, and asked me about how I got there. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just here. Okay? I, and I didn't say this, but I, meant, I should have said, I, I should not be here. So, you know, the, the, we go see, I actually took Addo with me. And we went to the Cowboys Stadium and just walked around. And just, it was a great trip. The whole time I'm like, I really feel like I'm walking in this dream world. We go to the game that night. That's the night that UConn got beat by Mississippi State on a buzzer beater. It, it was just a huge game. But at halftime... I had to go down to the court, all right, and shoot free throws against this other guy. And so I found out he, like, hit 50 in a row. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay, so I get on the line. And, I, I, you know, the whole time when I'm up in the press box, I'm looking at all this food going, I should not be here. And I'm, like, on the line, and I shoot that first shot. And I went, I should not be here, all right? And that's all I'm going on on that story. But there are times that we realize I should not be here. And, and there should not be a greater time that we experience that than when we realize what God has done for us, how much he loves us. It makes me go, I should not be here. And yet Jesus tells us, he teaches us, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. And you know, at some point in all of our lives, we have longed to have a father, haven't we? At some point, we've longed to have someone to look up to who, who we could call father, who, who could teach us, who could protect us, who could encourage us, as only a father can do. And maybe some of us in this room were blessed like that. But you know what? When Jesus told his disciples to address God as Father. This was a, a revolutionary idea back in that day. Because back in that day, even the Gentiles, they had their gods like Zeus and Poseidon. They, they had some issues. If you study Greek mythology, th those guys had some emotional problems, if you study it. They were distant, they were hostile, and they were often violent gods. So, so a Gentile would never want to come in contact with their God, much less call him father. Now, when it came to the Jews, they didn't call him father either. Father either. Um, the names that are used in the Old Testament are master, ruler, mighty one, sovereign. And they wouldn't even, they had such a great uh, honor for God's name that they wouldn't even utter his name. Even today, if you know of an Orthodox Jew, Orthodox Jews do not write his name. They will spell it this way, G-D. They won't put the vowel O. 
So, so the idea, the point I'm getting at here is the idea of calling God our Father was an alien idea to the Jews in that day. And there was a German scholar who wrote that in his studies of Judaism, he found that from the beginning of the Jewish nation to about 10 AD, that's looking at the Old Testament and also looking at extra-biblical uh, writings, there is not a single instance where a Jewish person addresses God as their father. The first Jewish rabbi to do so, do you, do you know who he was? Jesus. Je Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. And he is the first person who told his disciples, you get to call him father. And so Jesus says, Draw near to God. Draw near to our Father. And this is where we really got to be careful. Because I began my message, if you'll remember, I began by asking, have you ever unintentionally crossed a line without knowing it and offended someone? Well, this is where as we approach God as Father, we have to be careful the spirit and the posture in which we do so. And, you know, there are some who would actually call him uh, daddy or would call him dad or pops or whatever you would call your earthly father. And I don't necessarily think that that's um, outside of Scripture. Paul says in Romans 8:15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul's making a point here. We don't have to be afraid in a, like, terrified that God's going to hurt us if we're in Christ. We're not afraid of, of God's wrath towards us anymore because we know that he has dealt with that through his Son. And I believe that the Father, the perfect Father, is someone that we've all longed for. Whether you realize what you're longing for, He is the one that you're longing for, ultimately. I believe that He is that Father that we can crawl up into His lap. We can touch Him on the face. We can speak to Him because He's always listening with an ear like he's not like doing something and you're talking and he's not paying attention like some of us dads do he's really paying attention to our prayers when we're coming to him and we can even fall asleep on him knowing that he loves us and we can rest in him but we have to be careful listen that we don't cross a line and approach him casually as if he were a, uh, an American-type dad that we see in culture, like a, a Homer Simpson or a Peter Griffin-type father. He's not a pushover. He is not a pushover. He's not someone that you would roll your eyes at, or we shouldn't, or show contempt. No, he is our father in heaven, in heaven. That means that he is all-powerful. That means that he is the supreme ruler of all. That's who our Father is. 
1963, there was um, a picture taken of the most powerful man in the world at the time, in 1963. His name was John F. Kennedy. And there's this famous picture of him in the Oval Office with his son, John F. Kennedy Jr. This might be a good description or a good picture of what we're talking about. You have the most powerful man in the world, and his son is at his feet playing. Now, you would not, you and I would not just barrel into the Oval Office without taking our own lives into our hands, would we? There's a certain fear that should be there, um, because if it's not, you won't be there after that. But as the president's child, as the president's son, he was allowed to come into that office and to have access to his father, who was the, the most powerful man, who should be honored and feared in the world. And although God, and although God has blown us away by qualifying us to know him as father, let us not forget, forget who he is. He's omnipotent, he's almighty, he's above all, and he is worthy to be respected honored, and feared. And that's why Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. What does that word hallowed mean? It's an archaic word that we don't typically use in our society. It means to sanctify or to make holy, to feel reverence for, to feel a holy honor towards. And we need to be aware of approaching God as I said before, with a careless or cavalier attitude. In Ecclesiastes 5, he, he, um, the writer says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are, you are on earth, so let your words be few. This doesn't mean when we get before God that we, have to, um, we can't speak and pour out our hearts. It's that as we come to him, we must come with the right, proper attitude. And this week, as I've been studying this passage, I have been really, um, the Lord has, has used this passage to really convict me about who he is, how great he is, and how at times my heart has actually come with a cavalier type attitude before my God. And yet, you know what? He's been patient with me. He's been kind with me. Even to show me that is his kindness because he, he wants to help me to grow in my relationship with him and to grow in who I was created to be. And so Jesus is teaching that God is our Father, but let us not forget that he is holy. There is no one like him. I love that, what we sang this morning, and there's never been anyone like you. Have you come to see that? There has never been anyone like God. He is transcendent. He is above all things. He's outside of all things. He's holy. He's set apart. He is to be honored, valued, treasured, loved, reverenced, esteemed above all things. And you know what? Every time someone encountered God, 
in the Word of God, it says that they did something. They trembled in his presence. Job, the book of Job, chapter 40, verse 4 says, Behold, when, when Job encountered God, this is what he said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Isaiah 6, one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the Bible. Isaiah, he had a, a vision of God on his throne. And he says, when he saw God, he said, woe is me. For I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king and the Lord of hosts. Then there was John. The apostle John. He had a vision of, who, of heaven, and he heard a voice talking to him. And when he turned around, it was the Lord. And this is what he describes in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And this is, look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, let me ask you something. What would it take in your life for you to tremble? What causes you to tremble? What would cause you to put your hand over your mouth and say, I'm insignificant, and really mean it? What would it take for, to cause you to fall on the ground as if you were dead? According to Scripture, when we see God for who he is, then we see ourselves for who we are. And the first thing we see is that we're sinners. We see what we deserve. That's what all these men saw when they saw God. But here's some good news. In the case of Isaiah, it says that God purified his lips right away. And in this passage in Revelation, the very next verse says this, But he, speaking of Jesus, laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Can I interpret this for us? Here's what he's saying. He's preaching the gospel to John. He's like, do not be afraid because I love you. And though you feel your sin before me, I have died for that sin. Not only that, but I've been raised back to life. And there is nothing that will be able to harm you because I will protect you. I have the keys of death and Hades. And you know, that's why we stand and we're able to declare, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name.
So in closing, my question that I want us all to be asking ourselves is this. How do you see God when you approach him? We should be able to approach him, according to Jesus, as Father who loves us, who is holy and not like us. And as, as we're seeking to grow in prayer, let me ask you this. How important is prayer to you? How important is prayer to you? Jim Cimbala wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And in this book, he says this, prayer is the source of the Christian life, a Christian's lifeline. Otherwise, it's like having a baby in your arms and dressing her up so cute, but she's not breathing. Never mind the frilly clothes, stabilize the child's vital signs. It does no good to talk to someone in a comatose state. That's why the great emphasis on teaching in today's churches is producing such limited results. What he's saying here is we need to have good teaching, but oftentimes we can fall asleep under good doctrine, good teaching. Teaching is good only where there's life to be channeled. If the listeners are in a spiritual coma, what we're telling them may be fine and orthodox, but unfortunately, spiritual life cannot be taught. Pastors and churches have to get uncomfortable enough to say, we're not a New Testament church if we don't have a prayer life. This conviction makes us squirm a little. But how else will there be a breakthrough with God? If we truly think about Acts 2, verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We can see that prayer is almost a proof of a church's normalcy. Calling on the name of the Lord is the fourth great hallmark in the list. If my church or your church isn't praying, we shouldn't be boasting in our orthodoxy or our Sunday morning attendance figure. Can I get an amen with that? Now, it's not just one or the other. We want to have great teaching that's accurate, that aligns with the Word of God. And we also want to be reaching out and see people coming to Christ. It's not about whether, it's, whether we should have good attendance or not. But if we're not a praying people, we have to ask ourselves, who are we really? I love two lines that he says here. Prayer is the source of the Christian life, a Christian's lifeline. We're not a New Testament church if we don't have a prayer life. And I know, listen, I know that we believe this. I know that we believe this. I was talking to somebody that was here last week, and they, they said they, as they left, they went home and were thinking about everything, and they, they were like, you know, I, I want to grow in prayer. And this isn't the first time I've heard a message on prayer, about growing in prayer. I want to grow, but, you know, I can go home and go, I'm going to do it, and then like two weeks from now, we're back to where we started. Can anyone relate to that? You start, because you're like, I'm going to get up at 3.30, I'm going to pray for two hours, then I'm going to read the Word for two hours, then I'm going to pray for... Instead of being like an oak tree, 
Now, we've, I haven't said this in a while, but we want to be a church that's like an oak tree, not a weed. Because a weed grows really fast, but it's seasonal. It'll be gone at the end of the season. An oak tree grows really slow, but it's generational. An oak tree can live, uh, the average life of an oak tree is 50 to 60 years, but they can live up to 150 years or more. So let me ask you this. What kind of church are we, do you want to be? An oak tree or a weed? Well, I want to encourage us, instead of trying to go home and pray for eight hours today, I want you to assess yourself where you're at right now. We did this last week, but I want to do it again. What would it take for you to take just a step, not run, take a step forward? Question, do you have a prayer closet? We talked about this last week. Do you have a prayer closet? What do I mean by that? Do you have a, a place where you go and pray? And you might go, well, yeah, I pray every time I go to work. That is awesome. You, that's good. Hopefully you're, you're praying without ceasing. But do you have a place where you can go undistracted and sit with the Lord and enjoy him? in prayer. If you don't, here's what I would encourage you to pray. Lord, I ask you to help me find a prayer closet. And it's, it's different for everybody. It's not doesn't necessarily have to be inside, but it needs a place where you can be alone with the Lord, having the word of God in your hand and learning to pray and listen, pray and listen with the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I don't even want to pray. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know what? That can be me on certain days. Here's what you pray when you don't want to pray. Father, help me to desire to pray. A true desire from God will grow. Ask God. You're not doing this on your own strength, okay? I, 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 get that in my, I can't get that in my head sometimes, but ask him to give you a desire. Here's another one. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. And I'm not just talking about get me started and then I'm going to no, no. There's some days I get in front of the Lord and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to pray today. It'll probably happen to me tomorrow morning, to be honest with you. And I, so I say, Lord, teach me what to pray today. And guess what? If I will wait, he always does. But you have to have a place where you can wait on the Lord. Now, praying continually once you get up and leave, Throughout the day, as you're driving, as you're working, we're continuing to pray. We're in a state of prayer. We're in a state of communication. We never, like, shut the door and go, all right, I'll talk to you when I get home. We're always to be in a place of, of uh, communi communion with the Lord. One other thing I want to do is uh, on your weekly, on the back side, you'll notice that there, what, what I've put on the back side here is what we call, what I'm calling seven attributes of God. Now, these are not all of God's attributes, but if you're looking for a way to pray, especially on our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's seven attributes on the back here that describe God. Um, they're not all of them, but what you can do, we've put a scripture beside them, and like sovereign, sovereign means God rules over everything. And it, there's seven of them because there's seven days in a week, and it might be that you want to take this into your prayer closet and pray one of these each, each day. Father, in heaven, you are sovereign. Well, that means you rule over everything. 
You might want to go to the scripture. There's a lot more scriptures than this. Go on the internet, do a Google search of attributes of God. But as we grow in who God is, it gives us confidence for the rest of the prayer that we're going to be praying down the road. But I hope what you're hearing this morning is not this great heavy weight upon you of, of, as we grow in prayer. Again, we want to be an oak tree type of church that takes steps. We can all take steps. So again, where is God talking to you this morning? Where has he spoken to you? Where has he stirred you up? And if he has stirred you up this morning and you don't want to leave here because you're afraid it's going to evaporate, I encourage you, find a brother or sister before you leave and say, would you pray with me right now? This is what I feel like. And it doesn't have to be me or Terry. Find a brother or sister. Would you pray with me before I leave? Because I want to grow in prayer this week. And listen, I want what joy it will be as we look around and see the whole place. We're just praying as we grow in prayer, that we are a body of prayer. Our first inclination is let's go to God with this in spirit and truth. Amen.